What's up, Fight Fans? Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 133. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. We got a lot to cover this week. So, I was in LA last week, back in Atlanta now. I'm actually heading up to Boston Sunday for a few days to spend some time with family. Going to take a few days off. Uh, I'll still be on the radar. I'll be on Twitter and everything like that. But not doing a TNC next week. So we're going to do two weeks worth of previews in this episode, 133. So just let you guys know that. Also, real quick, wanted to give a shout out to Alan Blackett and Chipper Lambert, two new Patreon supporters to MOB. Thank you so much to both of you guys and to everybody that supports Montero Unboxing on Patreon. Uh, we sold a few t-shirts last week. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us, man. If you guys are interested in a t-shirt, email me, MonteroOnboxing at gmail.com. Real quick, I want to talk about my fee for the neutral corner. It is non-monetary. I'm just asking you guys every week, if you get something out of this podcast, whether you're watching it on YouTube, listening to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever it is, I ask that you share the podcast or you share the channel, Montero Unboxing, or the iTunes profile, the SoundCloud profile, whatever it is, just get the word out about what we're doing here because I'm keeping this ad free. I have had a couple of offers to put ads on this podcast specifically, and I don't want to you know, put the first 10, 15 minutes of the podcast with ads. I just don't want to do that yet. And I understand that you guys who watch on YouTube, there are ads, but you can click right past that. Uh, but I'm trying to keep it ad-free at this moment in time. And I've had deals where I can make pretty much, I'm not going to get rich, but I'm going to make thousands of dollars doing that. So uh, right now, guys, I'm just asking for any support you can. If you can't pitch in on Patreon or anything like that, totally understand. But please just spread the word. Get the word out about my channel, about this podcast, and about what we do. All right? So let's get into news and notes. We got a bunch of stuff to cover. All right, let's jump right into some rumors. And this isn't, apparently, it's not a rumor. It's actually happening. Tyson Fury and his promoter, Frank Warren, are in talks with Deontay Wilder and his kind of committee of management. He's kind of got a team of people representing him talking about a fight for possibly later this year. And normally I don't really pay much attention to these sorts of things, but I actually do think that there is a possibility this could happen. Now, maybe the promoters don't necessarily want it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know, but I know enough about Tyson Fury to know that he's just crazy enough to jump in for a fight like this. And he does have a fight coming up, I think, uh, next month against Francesco Pignetta. But he, of course, he's going to win that fight and win big. So he's got to pay attention to that fight and prepare and he's in camp and everything. But after that, a big challenge, Deontay Wilder. And I think Tyson would be willing to take that fight. I think Deontay would be willing to take that fight. These two have a little bit of history. Remember, uh, Wilder had a fight and, and Fury jumped up in the ring and they got in each other's face. So they have talked about it before. Now, the WBC, that's the title that Wilder has. Well, they have a mandatory, Dominic Brazil, and they have a silver titleist, Dillian White, 
or it's diamond or gold. I can't keep up with that. Whatever damn precious metal, <laughs> the title that Dillian White has. Uh, so technically Brazil is the mandatory and I've been telling you guys for a while that's who Wilder's gonna fight. But apparently the WBC has told him and his team, hey man, you don't have to fight him next. You can have a voluntary. So it is possible that we could see a Wilder Fury fight probably late November, early December, somewhere in that time frame this year. I, I do think if that fight happens, it happens stateside. And I think it'd be pretty damn fun. I know I would be ringside for that one. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes from these talks. We've seen this before, the old bait and switch routine where promoters and fighters use this sort of talk as a distraction to really uh, you know, make a different fight and to maybe kick the can down the road for another a super fight or something like that. It, it's all possible that there's some politics, as Lennox Lewis used to say, going on here. We'll find out. All right. Boxers behaving badly. Jermel Charlo arrested for domestic violence. So it was leaked last week, I think last Tuesday while I was in Los Angeles, that Charlo was actually arrested back in May in Dallas, Texas, and that's where he's training out of now with, with Errol Spence uh, at that gym with Derek James and all them. And apparently he choked his woman, a woman named Jasmine Allison. And Jasmine is spelled J-A-Z-M-Y-N-E. To me, that just says stripper. I'm assuming this woman was a dancer at some point with a name spelling like that, but I don't know. Either way, bail was posted at $20,000. He made the bail and he's claiming through his lawyer, Charlo hasn't publicly spoken on the event at all, but through his lawyer, they're saying he's innocent and that all the charges are completely made up. Hearing scheduled for next month, I think early August. So we'll find out what happens. I think, you know, generally speaking, in cases like this, it's a he, he said, she said thing. Unless there's some sort of hard physical evidence that Jasmine, with that Y in her name, if she can produce some hard physical evidence, maybe something will come of this. But uh, it's probably just going to be a slap on the wrist type of scenario and Charlo will move forward. But either way, not a good look. Just not a good look, right? Never a good look with these sorts of things. Danny Garcia versus Sean Porter. It is official. September 8th, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York for the vacant WBC welterweight title. Now, I told you guys that's what was going to happen, that that was going to be for the BC title, but everyone could see that. I'm, I'm not, you know, some amazing forecaster. It was the number one and number two guys in the BC. They're both with Heyman. Heyman and the WBC do favors for each other. So these two were bound to fight for that vacant title. So that's what we're going to see. It lines things up to where the winner can fight Keith Thurman. And the winner of that fight can cash out against Errol Spence. This whole process, you guys know how the PBC does business. That whole process is going to take at least a year. Probably more like 18 months. So... The much uh, anticipated fight between Errol Spence and Keith Thurman. I don't see that happening uh, possibly late next year, but probably 2020. And then that, of course, means that the winner of all that, which I think will be Spence versus Terrence Crawford, probably not happen until 2021. That's just boxing business. That's just the way it goes. I don't like it. You got this many 
really good American fighters in the welterweight division. I'd love to see them all fight each other tomorrow, but it probably ain't going to happen. Either way, man, Garcia and Porter are two top 10 welterweights. It's a good quality fight. In the co-main, David Benavidez defending his super middleweight title against mandatory Anthony Durrell. It's a decent matchup. I think Durrell is going to do enough to uh, to survive, you know, at least into the late rounds. It would be very impressive if Benavidez could stop Durrell. I think particularly if he stopped him in the middle rounds or sooner. But even if he stops him in the late rounds, that's going to be great experience for Benavidez. Durrell doesn't have the killer instinct. He's not going to go in there trying to win. So it's a perfect matchmaking setup for Benavidez and it all stays in-house with the PBC. Also on that card, heavyweight action, Adam Kaunaki. I hope I'm saying that right. My Polish friends, correct me on that spelling or uh, that pronunciation. Adam Kaunaki versus Charles Martin. Not an elite heavyweight matchup by any means, but it might be fun. It might be bombs away. Another fight that's come together and been made official, George Groves, Callum Smith. World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Finale is set for September 28th in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Now, this is a big UK fight. You got two UK fighters who beat UK fighters on the way to this matchup, right? That Super Middleweight Tournament of the World Boxing Super Series was UK heavy. So for this fight to not be taking place in the UK, that tells me that there's substantial investor money being put up from somebody over there in Saudi Arabia. So there's big money being put up here. These guys are getting paid. Hi. And the winner of this fight has business in that division back home in the UK. So uh, this is going to be a big money-making endeavor for both guys. That's September 28th. Billy Joe Saunders and his mandatory, Demetrius Andrade. Apparently, they've reached a deal. Now, this has gone back and forth. It was almost going to go to a purse bid, but apparently a deal was struck before it went to purse bid. The fight is on. It's not official yet. There hasn't been an official announcement, at least not by the time I'm recording this. But likely, it'll happen in October, and I would assume that it will happen somewhere on the East Coast. Andre is from the East Coast, and I don't know if it's going to happen in his hometown, but likely on the East Coast where his hometown fans could travel there. And for Billy Joe Saunders fans, they can make that flight over from the UK to the East Coast. That's a much easier flight than going all the way to Vegas or LA or something like that. So it makes sense on the East Coast, and I think that's where it's going to go. Now, WBO orders Maurice Hooker versus Alex Sacedo. Told you guys about this one before, how uh, Saucedo put on that great performance in his hometown of OKC on ESPN several weeks back. Hooker, who is from Texas as well, has the title. He got arrested recently. He had a crazy, crazy drunken driving spree, smashing into cop cars and injuring people. But apparently the WBO is going forward with this. They've given them 20 days to reach a deal or it goes to purse bid. The minimum bid, any promoter can bid, but the minimum bid has to be $150,000. So we'll see what happens there. If I'm top rank, I'm putting in a ton of money to get control of that fight. I'm taking it to OKC if I do. I think that that would be a big one. And I think Saucedo's brand would continue to grow there in his hometown. Also, Superfly 3 card has been finalized. 
Juan Francisco Estrada is going to return. He's fighting a Mexican opponent in an all-Mexican showdown. Danny Nietes making his super fly, super flyweight division debut. This guy's had titles at different weights, moving up to 115. He's fighting a Filipino opponent in an all-Filipino matchup. Also Japanese fighter, Kazuto Ioka fighting McWilliams Arroyo of Puerto Rico. So you got a lot of international flavor happening there. Smart for Tom Lawford to put an all-Mexican matchup, an all-Filipino matchup on that card. There's a lot of Filipinos in L.A. There's a lot of Mexicans in L.A. And these Superfly cards have done very, very well. Look, this, this Superfly 3 card, it doesn't have the pizzazz the first two had. It doesn't have the names. There's been a lot of issues. It's been tough for Loeffler to get this thing together. There's been a lot of moving parts and a lot of guys who just aren't ready or weren't ready for different reasons. They had different issues. But all things considered, I think this is a pretty good consolation. I think that it's a fun international card, and I think that you're going to get a pretty good turnout for it. I think Lawfler has to be smart and price this thing accordingly. Can't jack up the price from the Superfly 2 prices. This isn't Superfly 1 or 2, just not as good of a card. But it is a good card, and it's a stacked card with some entertaining, interesting matchups if it's priced right. If he prices it right, the fans will show up. Canelo Golovkin, the rematch. The undercard is coming together. Nothing has been made official, but we do know that Spike O'Sullivan will be on the card, which makes sense. Golden Boy Promotions, I think, is controlling two of the undercard fights, and Tom Loeffler gets to control one of them. So at this point, Golden Boy is going to have Jaime Munguia, because they kind of have a working deal with Zamfer. He's going to be on there. He, we don't know who's going to fight. I don't think it's going to be a big name or anything like that. It's going to be a layup for him. But he's going to be on there and score a massive knockout in front of thousands of Mexican fans, millions of Mexican fans watching on TV. Crazy, crazy, great opportunity for him to continue to build his brand on that card. Also, Spike O'Sullivan. Golden Boy is going to have him on there. It's rumored he might fight David Lemieux. I think that that would make a lot of sense. I also think that it'd be a fun, bombs away kind of matchup. And they're both Golden Boy guys. So I could see that happening. Now for Loeffler, I know he's trying to get Chocolatito on this card. And they've talked about Chocolatito fighting Moises Fuentes possibly. They've I mentioned other names too. But I think Fuentes is the top pick. At this point, he's not officially on the card, though. I know Cecilia Brekus is. If you can't get Chocolatito, it's possible Cecilia Brekus would open up the pay-per-view broadcast. But if he can get Chocolatito on, he would open it. So we'll wait to see what happens from Tom Loeffler and if he can get Roman Gonzalez on that pay-per-view. If he can, I think that's a, that's a nice undercard. I mean, if you can get Spike O'Sullivan versus David Lemieux, I think that's a fun bang bang matchup i think if you could get jaime mungia against anybody he's always exciting and he's fun to watch so i think that makes a lot of sense if you can get chocolatito back look i'm not crazy about roman gonzalez fighting i've told you i've told you guys about that a, a bunch since that last superfly car where he got knocked spark out but if he is going to come back this is the best place for him to come back I don't know if you get Cecilia Brekus on there. I'm not convinced that Brekus is the best female fighter in the world still, but she's at least the second or third best. And she's clearly the most accomplished. She's the most accomplished uh, female fighter 
really of this entire era, and not just in boxing. I'm talking MMA. I'm talking all fight sports. And yes, of course, I'm including Ronda Rousey in that. She is the, by far the most accomplished. But there's some other female fighters coming up from the last Olympic class that pound for pound, I might rate higher right now. They're at least nipping at Breakus's heels. Either way, for her to be on there, she was just on HBO. That's breaking ground for female boxing. That's a big deal. So we'll talk more about this stuff coming up, guys. Let's get into the review of what happened last week. Friday, July 27th, Sho Kimura defended his flyweight title and Tamanun Niamtrong defended his minimum weight title over in China. That was really it for last Friday. But last Saturday, we had a lot of action. Saturday, July 28th. Let's start over in the O2 Arena in London where on the undercard, Katie Taylor, I was just talking about women's boxing. You know, pound for pound, I, I think... She might be nipping at Brekus's heels. I don't know if she's quite there yet, not as accomplished, but she's already unified titles and she defended her lightweight titles on this card. She is slated to fight Cindy Serrano in Chicago in October. And I think that's gonna be a really, really interesting, fun matchup. And that's a good, solid matchup of two names from two different demographics, two different countries, but accomplished female fighters fighting each other. I think that's a big deal, guys. I think that's a big deal if you're into the female boxing. And I'm actually interested in that fight. Katie Taylor, Cindy Serrano, that's gonna be fun. Also, a heavyweight slugfest on the undercard. Derek Chisora scores a TKO eight win over Carlos Tecum. And look, Chisora is one of these guys that's had really inconsistent performances. And I don't know if he's all there mentally, I know he's inconsistent with his training and his lifestyle. He he blows up in weight. Carlos Takam has been a consistently reliable, quality heavyweight. Right on the bubble of the top 10 in recent years. And for Chisora to show up in shape, motivated, beat this guy down and stop him, that is an impressive performance by Derek Chisora, who proves with this performance that he is still serviceable. You know, you look at his fights in recent years. He had a split decision loss to Kubrat Pulev. A lot of people feel it could have went either way. A split decision loss to Dillian White. A lot of people felt that could have went either way. I think both of those fights were in 2016. He dropped Takam in the eighth round of this fight, finished him, got him out of there. For Takam, he was 11 pounds heavier in this fight than he was against Anthony Joshua. A fight where he kind of exposed some flaws in Anthony Joshua's game. It really didn't do much other than survive. But still, that goes down as a stoppage. You guys know how I feel about that fight. It shouldn't have been stopped. I think Takam would have went the distance easily. He was just fine. Absolutely no need to stop it. But the ref had to keep uh, AJ's you know lock, knockout streak going. Joseph Parker ruined that for him the very next fight. Either way, Takam has now lost three of five. Why show up 11 pounds heavier after that Joshua fight? Perhaps he took Derek Chisora lightly. Not the first fighter to do that, but you can't take anybody lightly in this game. I just don't understand why you show up 11 pounds heavier after doing a pretty good job against Anthony Joshua. Either way, Derek Chisora, for him, now, has he earned a rematch with Dillian White? 
I don't know if he's earned a title shot or anything like that, but I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Dillian White again. The last time they fought, it was pretty damn good. Speaking of Dillian White, he scores a unanimous decision win over Joseph Parker. So this fight, very, very good, entertaining, heavyweight scrap. But to me, it wasn't without some controversy. First, or I shouldn't say controversy. Uh, how about asterisks? There were some asterisks in this fight. There was a headbutt in the second round, and it was a, a, a hard headbutt. It wasn't just two guys, you know, barely hitting each other. This was two big-ass heavyweights, 250-plus pounds each, 500-plus pounds of beef smashing into each other. The headbutt dropped Parker, and it seemed to change him for the rest of the fight. He, he just did not look oriented. I think he was clearly concussed. This is a guy who has had a good chin so far in his career, taking some big punches. We've never seen him hurt, and he looked wobbly in this fight. And I know White doesn't punch as hard as Anthony Joshua. He doesn't even punch as hard as some of the other guys Parker has faced. So uh, to me, this headbutt really changed the fight, and you hate to see that. There are a lot of guys who would have been knocked out right there in the second round. That from that headbutt, or at least in the third or fourth round right after. But I really do believe Parker has a world-class chin. I really think he does. He was dropped again in the ninth round from a very, very hard counter-left hook from White that Parker never saw coming and ran right into. That's the kind of shot that would knock out most heavyweights in the world. It, could, it, it would absolutely drop uh, Joshua, Wilder, Luis Ortiz, all these other guys possibly knocked them out, all things considered. I think Parker was already concussed and then got dropped by that hook and he got up. I think this guy's chin is legit, all right? Some of the other things, not quite as legit. Parker did come back and, and fought well in the late rounds, knocked White down in the 12th round, had him all but out on his feet. But White was able to hold Parker up to the final bell and make it on his feet. But man, if the fight was one minute longer, Parker might have got him out of there. So the old cliche people use now, if this was a 15-round fight, yeah, if this was a 15-round fight, I think Parker wins by knockout. But it's not. We don't do 15-round fights anymore. So White wins by unanimous decision. Not sure where he goes from here. He should get a shot at Deontay Wilder per the WBC. But I talked to you guys earlier in this episode about what's going on with them. So I don't know, man. Is the Wilder versus Fury talk all smoke and mirrors to negotiate a better deal for a Wilder versus White fight to get White to travel over to America or something? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. We'll find out what happens. But Dillian White is a top 10 heavyweight. Love him, hate him, whatever. He is a solidified top 10 heavyweight. And you, you just can't deny that after this performance. And guess what? Joseph Parker is still a top 10 heavyweight himself. Right there, though, at probably number 10, number 9 or 10. And White, man, I know it sounds crazy. I know some of you are going to be punching a computer screen right now, but he might be a top 5 heavyweight right now. I, I know. I, it's crazy. But he just might be. Look at the guy's run. Hasn't fought great fighters, but he has a narrow win over Derek Chisora, who, as I talked about earlier, still serviceable. 
and he has a win over Joseph Parker. He dropped him and hurt him in that fight, something Anthony Joshua couldn't do. Beating Joseph Parker, I, I don't know, and, and adding the Derek Chisora win and all that, that's probably more than Deontay Wilder's done so far as a heavyweight. I know, don't kill me, don't shoot the messenger. But you know I'm probably right here. I'm, I'm not saying he's better than Wilder. I'm saying he's maybe done more on his resume recently. Either way, for Parker, I don't know where he goes from here. He seemed way too content in defeat. He's made a shitload of money this year. Went to the UK twice and made boatloads of freaking money. I'm talking eight figures. We're above seven figures here. This dude has made a ton of freaking money this year. So is that hunger going to be the same? He's talked all along about when he, was, when he went pro, I think retiring at like 30 or 31 or something like that. I can't remember the exact age, but it was a young age. And he says he's going to you know, give it his all and then retire young. Dude, with this kind of money he's made and losing twice in a row like this, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see from him after this. But he does have skills. He does have a world-class chin. I wouldn't mind seeing him in there against Luis Ortiz. I wouldn't mind seeing him in a rematch with Dillian White or against Derek Chisora or against any of these guys. I wouldn't mind seeing it. So uh, put him in there with anybody. I'm going to watch. But I don't know where he goes from here, man. I really, really don't. One quick note about this fight. Ian John Lewis, the ref, let Dillian White foul Joseph Parker repeatedly throughout the contest. Warned him, but never once docked a point. Not once. He also counted the headbutt that dropped Joseph Parker in the second round as a knockdown. So you can argue that Ian John Lewis cost Joseph Parker two points. Also, accidental headbutt that badly hurt a fighter. You are allowed to give that fighter a break and give him some time to recover. It's like a low blow. So if he correctly calls that knockdown a foul, accidental foul, that headbutt, gives Parker some time to recover. I'm not suggesting Parker ever does, but I'm saying gives him that proper time and takes a point from White at some point for the egregious fouling. At, I'm not going to say egregious, but there were repeated fouls. And it was very, very obvious what he was doing, and White let him or Lewis let White get away with it. That's a two-point swing that changes the scoring of this fight. It also changes the way things go down the stretch. Even in the twelfth round, I thought when White got hurt, I, I get it, guys. You're supposed to fight, or I mean, you're supposed to clinch. But when the ref is telling you break, 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 and you don't listen to him and you don't break. If you've been warned before, you're supposed to lose a point. You could make an argument that not one, but two points could have been deducted from White. And I know some of the UK fans are going to scream at me and try to shit down my throat right now. But again, I'm just telling you the reality. If this fight wasn't in the UK, if this fight wasn't in London with Ian John Lewis, who is probably the worst ref in boxing, at least you know, high-level ref, Lawrence Cole gets a lot of shit and others... Deservedly so, but I got to say, recently, recent performances, Ian John Lewis has had more bad performances than guys like Lawrence Cole. If this fight was anywhere else with a different ref, I think we might have had a different outcome. 
Just going to put it out there. And that's why I say there's some asterisks around this fight. But Dillian White moves forward. Joseph Parker goes back to the drawing board. Let's come over to the USA. Kissimmee, Florida. ESPN Plus. Upset special. I don't think it was a huge upset, but it is an upset. Christopher Diaz, the Puerto Rican super featherweight, came into this fight as a betting uh, favorite against Masayuki Ito, the Japanese fighter. Diaz was dropped in the fourth round, came back and fought hard. This was for a vacant WBO title. Came back and fought hard, proved he's a tough guy, and he's got some real grit and some real determination to win. But Ito just proved to me that he was better. This was not a fluke. This was not him scoring a, a, a freak knockout or something like that or edging out a fight. I thought he clearly won this fight and controlled it from start to finish, although Diaz did have some big moments. Scores were 118-109, 117-110, 116-111. I thought the 118-109 score was, was probably correct. I saw a 10 rounds to 2, 9 rounds to 3 type of fight. So Diaz came in 22-0, 15 knockouts. As I mentioned, he's a Puerto Rican fighter. He had fought in the USA and Puerto Rico. Really got beat up in this fight. Fought bravely, showed a ton of heart, but that left eye was swollen really, really bad. Still, he never quit trying. And I think because of that, even though he took an L here and got exposed for some flaws and limitations he has, I think is going to be back on TV soon once he heals up, obviously. He might be out for the rest of the year, depending on what's up with that eye. I guess we'll find out soon if he needs any surgery or anything. It might just be a swelling, but there might be a break. There might have been something else going on there. We'll have to find out. Either way, I think that he has earned a place to get back on TV or back on the ESPN Plus app, if you will, because he was entertaining and he showed a ton of heart. A lot of guys would have looked for a way out. Now for Ito... Fighter out of Tokyo, 27 years old. This was his first bout outside of Japan. And what did I tell you guys last week during the preview? These Japanese fighters, you can't tell. Sometimes these guys come over and you, you just don't know. You look at the record and you're like, they ain't fought nobody. But here's the thing. They're always tough. They come over with the mentality of, I'm going to die in that damn ring. You're going to have to kill me or drag me out of there. I am not giving up. I can't think of the last time I saw a Japanese fighter just fold. I, I just can't think of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. If there is one recently, name it. Let me know. But he came into this fight with one majority decision loss on his record. I think it was early in his career. It might have been like a four-round fight. Maybe it was an eight-rounder. But it was controversial. It could have went either way. And he had a limited amateur career, barely had an amateur career. So he, he's really flown under the radar. And there are guys like this that just pop up in boxing that you haven't been seeing because no big amateur career. So all the big promoters, they weren't really watching them. And then you get that early you know, decision loss in your career and suddenly people stop looking in your direction. But now he's on the scene and now he's got a title and he's being trained by Rudy Hernandez who knows a thing or two about preparing fighters. This dude's punches, Ito's punches. I was watching this fight ringside while I was in at Staples Center, and we were all watching at ringside, and it just you saw the difference in punching technique and, and leverage and angles, and Ito was punching so straight, so sharp. He was just chopping Diaz up. Just looked spectacular. 
And I, I can't wait to see him again, man. I'm telling you, there's a lot of talent coming out of that part of the world, guys. If you're sleeping on these Japanese fighters, you're missing out on some great action. There are several prospects who won on the undercard of this fight, too, including the Brazilian Esquiva Falcao. So that was a fun card, a fun event, another fun one on ESPN+. And then the big fight was at Staples Center in Los Angeles. It was actually a triple header on Showtime. In the main event, Mikey Garcia scores a unanimous decision over Robert Easter Jr., unifies the WBC and IBF lightweight titles, drops Easter in the third round, and pretty much dominates this fight. He was in control the entire way. Easter had a couple of moments here or there, but Garcia controlled this whole fight. I did a ringside recap or immediate reaction video right there that night during the walkout fight. So you guys have probably seen that. And then I did a, a rant video today going into Mikey Garcia in further detail. So I'm not going to rant on him here on the neutral corner for an hour. Watch those videos, guys. I mean, I talk about him for almost half an hour in the rant video I posted today. And I give some harsh criticisms, but some legit ones, to, you know, I mean, nothing I said was out of line. I, I, you know, some of you guys that watched that rant video are already pissed off and triggered. Some of you guys who watched the immediate reaction video are triggered. And some of the Garcia fans, I've just noticed, are becoming very, very polarized. And it's becoming ethnic. It's becoming divisive. Most Mikey Garcia fans are just boxing fans, just like any other fighter. But when fighters do start to cross over and do start to break through, you get the crazies. And you see it with everybody, regardless of where they come from. We see it, of course, with Pacquiao. We saw it with Floyd. You see it with Gennady Golovkin. You see it with Canelo Alvarez, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury even. And he's not even like a breakthrough star kind of fighter, but he's got a lot of crazies attached to him. We saw some crazies when Billy Joe Saunders beat David Lemieux. People started talking about him like he's the second coming of Christ. So it happens. Sometimes it's off one performance. Sometimes it's off of a fighter just becoming a brand. And one thing is for certain, Mikey Garcia is becoming a brand. The crowd there at Staples was 12,500. So they blocked off. Staples has the floor, and then there's you know a first level, a second level, a third level. They blocked off the third level. But the first and second levels were full. I'm not saying, you know, obviously it was nowhere near a complete sellout, even for what they scaled it down to, but it was very damn full. It was close to a sellout for what they scaled it down to, I should say. And the crowd was passionate. And that's how I could tell people paid for their tickets. Also, the week of the fight, I was asking around. I was asking ticket brokers I knew. I, was at, I actually talked to Tom Brown of TGB, or who, who put on, who actually did the, the promoting for this event. Um, and, and I couldn't find any big ticket deals. In fact, when I was going to Staples, walking over there from my hotel, Hotel Figueroa, right across the street, going over to Staples to cover the event. There were several people who came up to me. They saw my credential and were like, hey man, can I buy tickets? Do you know where I can buy tickets? They weren't selling tickets. They were asking to buy tickets. So there was a demand to get into this fight. And that tells me that Mikey Garcia is becoming a brand. I was also very surprised to see thousands of Robert Easter people, a couple thousand I would say, at least 2,000, Robert Easter people. Now, I don't know if they were from L.A. Maybe a lot of them were from L.A. and just supporting Robert Easter. But there were at least a thousand people that you could tell were from Ohio 
that traveled and, and several of them I talked to. So I know they were from Ohio. They traveled out there and I saw them throughout fight week hanging out in downtown LA. And uh, it was interesting to see how well some of Easter's fans traveled. I did not expect that. And I have to um, not eat a little crow, but I have to admit I was a little wrong because I, I did not think this fight would have that big of a crowd. And, it, and so anyway, I was surprised. And Garcia has proven that he is a brand, at least in Los Angeles. Now, he didn't do crowds like that in Texas. He didn't do crowds like that in Brooklyn. He was on cards that were other fighters kind of carried the ticket. This is the first time where he's carried the ticket and done a really, really good crowd that I can think of. So he is becoming a brand, but it is L.A. He's, he's a Southern California, Los Angeles area fighter. I don't know how that's going to translate to Vegas or other places, but if the matchup is right, if he's fighting another guy who has a title or another top fighter in the sport, whether it be an Errol Spence, a Vasil Lomachenko, a Jorge Linares, somebody like that, I think he's proven he can sell. And that's a big deal. That's a real, real big deal. So good for Mikey Garcia. However, he is not above criticism. And this is a guy who has won titles in four divisions. But if you look at who he has beat for those titles, not exactly a murderer's row. And the argument of pound for pound comes up. And some of you are like, how do you rate Vasil Lomachenko, who has, what, one-third the amount of fights around that? One-third the amount of pro fights is, is Garcia. And, you know, he took a loss. Well, look, the Salido loss, you know, I, I've talked about that till I'm blue in the face. That really is a wash. And I, I don't, there's so many things that were happening now that we know about before that fight. And then things that we've seen after that fight that explain a lot. And then also what took place in the ring that night in some poor officiating. Uh, I, I don't really rate that loss as a big deal, guys. Bottom line is this. A guy like Vasily Lomachenko has already beat Gary Russell Jr., who I think right now is the best featherweight in the world. And he toyed with him. He, he's beat Jorge Linares, who at the time was the number one rated, most proven, most consistently proven lightweight in the world. And yes, he was dropped in that fight. But other than being dropped and losing maybe a couple other rounds, he toyed with Linares in spots and stopped him. Something Garcia couldn't do to Easter. And then he has a win over Guillermo Rigondeaux, who is a pound-for-pound level talent and had that decorated amateur career, one of the best amateur careers in boxing history. So Lomachenko has three names on his resume that are better than Mikey Garcia's best win. So maybe his best win is a prime Orlando Salido. But if, again, if you look at Salido's record coming into his fight with Garcia, you know, it's not as if he was considered an elite pound-for-pound level talent. Never has been. Probably, I mean, I, I, I'd have to say the best win of Mikey Garcia, his resume so far is Robert Easter. And Robert Easter had two wins over Javier Fortuna and Richard Comey that were split decisions that many people feel he did not win. So you're looking at a guy who almost basically had two losses, according to many people in their, their mind, their point of view, coming into this fight with Garcia, and that's probably his best win to date. Look at the title that he won at 140 pounds. That was Terrence Crawford's title. Terrence Crawford was the undisputed, completely unified, universally recognized champion at junior welterweight. 
He had a, a mandatory in Sergey Lipinets. He had no interest in that fight. Bigger money fight for him at welterweight. So he ended up moving up to welterweight to eventually face Jeff Horn. The IBF strips Crawford immediately before he even does that, before he even announces that he's moving up to welterweight. Just strips him of his title. Sergey Lipinets gets it. What does Mikey Garcia do? He jumps up to 140 to fight Sergey Lipinets. It's easy pickings. It's opportunistic matchmaking. And that's why I am somewhat critical of Mikey Garcia, but none of my criticism is out of bounds. And I criticize, I'm not above criticizing any damn fighter or giving any damn fighter credit. But Mikey Garcia panders to fringe YouTube media outlets and, and social media circles and he kind of likes being worshipped as a superhero in those circles. He's a darling to many in the Southern California slash West Coast boxing media and fan base. But he's not a mainstream star. That He's not the mainstream star that he views himself as. He's just not that guy yet. So to be making some of the demands, or, or I just think he needs to slow down a little bit. He is one of the most skillful technicians in the sport. He is one of the top five pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. And I would love to see him fight Vasily Lomachenko. Do I want to see him fight Errol Spence? And that's who he was calling out after this fight. Not really. I don't want to see that fight. I'd rather see Mikey fight the best fighter in his division right now. The best two lightweights in the world are Vasily Lomachenko, Mikey Garcia. I'd rather see those two fight and sew things up at 135 pounds before either of them moves up. I don't want to see Lomachenko fight Manny Pacquiao. Not right now. I want to see him fight Mikey Garcia. So we'll find out what happens. But Mikey Garcia beats Robert Easter, unifies lightweight titles. I still rate him as the second best lightweight behind Lomachenko. And I get it. A lot of you out there will say, well, Mikey's been a... a lightweight for a year and a half well not really he was a lightweight for a couple of months last year then he moved up to 140 a brand building fight against broner an easy pickings title grab against lippinets comes back down year and a half later fights robert easter hadn't fought a mandatory at all in a year and a half and the wbc let him hold on to his title you don't see that very often but for mikey they did it he's only had two fights at lightweight Lomachenko's had one, but it was against a much better opponent, Jorge Linares. So uh, I rate Loma number one, but it's number one A and number one B, if you will. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's number one and number two and then everybody else. Also on this card, Luis Ortiz scores a KO2 win over Razvan Kojinu. And yeah, everybody saw this coming, right? Did anyone think this was going to go past four or five rounds? Now, part of me wondered going in because I didn't know what kind of shape Ortiz was in. But you guys all clearly saw he was in very, very good shape and might be in better health overall than he was against Deontay Wilder in March. So um, I think it was, was it March they fought or May? I think it was March. <laughs> I know it was earlier this year. But uh, he was not in good health against Deontay Wilder. He looked better. His eyes just looked better to me. Uh, his body looked better. He moved better. He just looked a lot healthier in this fight. So whatever he's doing, he needs to keep it up. And this was great, great matchmaking for him. He had a statue in front of him with his head up in the air. Let's see what Luis Ortiz does from here. This fight really doesn't prove much other than Ortiz is still in shape. Hits very, very hard and is absolutely a top five heavyweight.
So I want to see him again soon. Needs to stay active. Also, Mario Barrios from San Antonio scores an eighth round retirement stoppage win over Jose Roman, dropped him in the fourth and eighth round. Roman's corner stopped the fight. So Barrios is now 22-0, 14 knockouts, only 23 years old in a up-and-coming 140-pound division where there's a lot of young talent. Uh, once these guys all fight each other, we're going to get some great matchups. And eventually, they're going to be moving up to 147 where there's tons of big names. So all the way from like, man, 140, 147, maybe a couple of these guys will end up at 54. But 40, 47, if these matchups that need to happen happen over the next three, four, five years, it's going to be great, man. I'm telling you right now. Also on this card, Fabian Maidana, Chino's younger brother, scores a KO7 win over Andre Klimov. That is a big win for a prospect. Andre Klimov is a good skilled uh, boxer, professional prize fighter who can handle himself. And Maidana improves to 16-0 with 12 knockouts stopping him. Good win for him. Several other prospects on this card win as well. It, overall, it was a pretty stacked card, man. I got to give the whole promotion and everybody credit. They did a very, very good job. And I enjoyed myself there at Staples Center. And it was fun running into a few of you guys and talking some boxing. Always good times, man. All right, so that is it for the review. Let's preview what's coming up over the next two weeks in boxing. Friday, August 3rd, ESPN Plus Top Rank has picked up a card from Australia. Billy Dibb fighting Tevin Farmer for the vacant IBF Super Featherweight title. I, you know, craft-wise, skill-wise, athleticism... You favor Tevin Farmer, but he has no power. I, I think Pauli Malignaggi had better power. So that lack of power might cost him on the road. We'll have to see. Also, Tim Zhu, Kostya Zhu's son, fights on that card. ESPN Plus, man. Again, I remember a lot of you bitching a month or so ago. Five bucks a month. Look at what you are getting for your money. There is no better value in boxing right now in terms of Money for action. ESPN Plus taking care of you guys. And no, I don't get any kickback from ESPN. I am crazy, crazy uh, critical of the network, the executives at that company, and a lot of the personalities at ESPN. But this ESPN Plus app, pretty damn cool, man. Pretty damn good. Also Friday, Bounce TV card from Las Vegas. That's a Mayweather Promotions card. I think they're working with a couple other promoters, but it's definitely a TBE Promotions card on Bounce. So I don't even know what the hell Bounce TV is, but if you have it, enjoy. Saturday, August 4th, there's a Matchroom card with a lot of, sky, with a lot of prospects that's going to be on Sky, including some Olympians. Joe Cordina, 2016 Olympian. He's a 7-0 Lightweight. He's going to be on that card. Natasha Jonas, 6-0, 130-pounder. She was in the 2012 Olympics. Also, a Brooklyn-based Kazakh fighter who was in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics, Daniar Yeliusinov. He is going to be fighting. A lot of people are excited about that young man. And there are going to be other prospects on this card as well. So just a card of prospects to check out on Sky from Matchroom. From the Hard Rock Hotel in Atlantic City, HBO Boxing. Man, 
They've had a couple of cards in the last few weeks. Can you believe it? They are back in the business, baby. A main events card where we see some of the best light heavyweight talent in the world fighting. And this is one of the most loaded divisions in the world with uh, really, really a global division. A lot of talent from all over the world. In the co-main, Dimitri Bivol defending his WBA light heavyweight title against Isaac Chalemba. And this will be his toughest challenge to date. Now, he just beat Sullivan Barrera. That was a tough challenge for him. Totally different style here, here with uh, Chalemba. Chalemba is a guy who makes fighters look bad. That is what he does. Elite fighters. He loses to the elite, but he makes them look vulnerable. He makes them look pedestrian, average, whatever word you want to use. En route to losing. That's what he does. He went the distance with Tony Bellew. He went the distance with Elidir Alvarez. He went the distance with Sergey Kovalev. So he was stopped in eight rounds by Oleksandr Gavajdik, but that was kind of an injury stoppage. I think he had hurt his hand. He was getting beat up in that fight and losing, but uh, maybe he would have went the distance without that injury. I don't know. Either way, this is a guy who makes fighters look bad. Here's how high I am on Dimitri Bivol. Bivol is going to be the first fighter to legitimately stop Isaac Chalemba. He's going to get him out of there. And I think it's not going to be due to stoppage or anything like that. He's going to knock him out. Is it going to be a one-punch knockout? I don't necessarily see that. It's going to be an accumulation-type stoppage where either the ref or the corner jumps in and stops it. But I, I really do think Dimitri Bevel is going to be the first guy to stock, stop Isaac Chalemba. That's what I see happening. In the main event, Sergey Kovalev defending his WBO light heavyweight title against Eladir Alvarez, this is his third fight, Kovalev's third fight, since the losses to Andre Ward. You guys know how I feel about the first one. I don't think it was a loss. I think Kovalev beat him. The second fight, I thought Ward legitimately beat him, but there was a lot of controversy because of all the fouling going on. Either way, third fight since that loss, and clearly the best opponent since his return. Legit top 10, maybe top 5, light heavyweight that Kovalev is facing here. A guy that Adonis Stevenson did not want to fight. He was Adonis Stevenson's mandatory for 4,326 years, and Stevenson did not fight him. And the BC, because of the politics involved, sided with him and let him do it. No such luck for Kovalev. He's fighting him. Alvarez is listed as 34 years old. He looks about 44, but he is 34. He was avoided for a reason. He's a good quality fighter with some good skills, respectable power. Kovalev should be favored in this fight. I do think he wins by decision, but it is not going to be an easy night out. The only question mark I have here is it's been over a year out of the ring for Alvarez. And he's also making a, a leap in opposition. He has not fought a fighter as good as Sergey Kovalev. So the question is, has he checked out? Politics have screwed this guy. His team hasn't done him any favors. His team hasn't done very good negotiating for him. Bottom line. But now he's in a title fight that he's been wanting forever. Does he show up? Does he bring it? Or is he mentally and emotionally checked out because of being out of the ring for over a year, losing out in the Adonis Stevenson situation? Have the politics drained him? We'll find out Saturday. If they haven't, we got a hell of a main event on our hands. I think it's going to be fun, man. Also, in Long Island, Nassau Coliseum, PBC on Fox. We have a bunch of 
Interesting matchups that you, you might think you went into a time machine. Devin Alexander in the main event is fighting Andre Berto. Now this fight would have been interesting in 2011, 2012, 2013, but 2018, it's not very meaningful, okay? But I think it could be interesting because both of these guys are well past their best. They're faded. I think Berto is especially faded and always vulnerable because he was just defensively never that good. But sometimes when old fighters like this match up and fight each other, they have faded and the reflexes are gone and it makes the, fun, the fights fun because they've slipped so much. And that might be what we see here. This might end up turning into a good fight. Call me crazy, but it might end up becoming a good fight. I don't think it'll start good. I think Alexander is going to box and it's going to be, you know, craft and stuff. But if both, guys, if both guys are just showing up to get a payday, and that's what PBC does a lot of times with these older fighters, just lines these guys up for paydays. If that's what's happening here, then it's going to be a horrible fight. But at some point, if somebody lands something hard and the other dude reacts to it, we might have a fun fight here with two older guys that are trying to prove a point. Sometimes these matchups can be fun. Sometimes they can be dreadful. We'll find out what happens. I favor Alexander, though, because he, I think he just has more left in the tank. Peter Quillen. <laughs> Remember Peter Quillen? He's fighting Jillian Love. Remember him? Yeah. I don't know what to make of that matchup other than that is PBC slash TBE promotions just all over it. I don't know what the hell to expect from that. Sergey Lipinets, so I talked about earlier in this episode, he's fighting Eric Bonet. Also on this card, Luis Coyazzo, Marcus Brown, Richard Comey, and not one, but two Russell brothers, all fighting on this card. So if you're a PBC guy and you love these fighters, it's pretty damn stacked. And it's smart to put guys like Colazzo or Coyazzo, I don't know, uh, Brown, you know, local guys. On the card. Quillen, it's smart to put them on the card. It makes a lot of sense. I think all in all, it's going to be an interesting, fun show. Wednesday, August 8th. It's another Hollywood Fight Night card from 360 Promotions at the Avalon in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. Those are always fun. Friday, August 10th. We have a few cards going on. Uh, LA Fight Club from Belasco, downtown Los Angeles. That's Golden Boy Promotions. Of course, that's streamed just like the Hollywood Fight Night cards from 360 Promotions. They also air on Australia TV. There's a Telemundo card Friday, August 10th as well from Tampa, Florida. And a BN Sports card that's being put on by Roy Jones Jr. Promotions in Las Vegas. Saturday, August 11th. Another BN Sports card from Zanfer Promotions in Mexico City. Also, a Golden Boy Promotions card at the Avalon in Hollywood, streaming on Facebook. Remember that Facebook deal that they just announced. So, it's a Puerto Rican, Jesus Rojas, defending his WBA featherweight title against Joseph Diaz Jr. Diaz is coming off his loss, first career loss, to Gary Russell back in May. Rojas won this interim WBA featherweight title last September. Hasn't fought since. So even though he's been sitting on his ass for almost a year, somehow he was elevated to regular champion or full champion or whatever the hell they call it by the WBA. And now, through the politics of boxing, Joseph Diaz Jr. is going to get that title. 
So Golden Boy Promotions is fulfilling their promise to Joseph Diaz Jr. that they made when they signed him a few years back. They're going to get him a world title in this fight. I, obviously, I think that Diaz is going to win a decision here. Rojas would have to stop him to win. Golden Boy Promotions gets their guy a title, but here's the thing. Leo Santa Cruz, he's the legitimate WBA, quote-unquote, super champ, world champ, whatever the hell term you want to use. This is one of the reasons why I really hate the WBA. Instead of calling this a title fight, it should be called a title eliminator. They already have an interim champ at featherweight as well. Even though Rojas was the interim champ and he got bumped up, they named some other guy, I can't remember who the hell it is, interim champ. There's just no need for this shit. Make these for number one, number two positions. The super champion or whatever should be the champion. The regular champion should be the mandatory. And the interim champion should be the next in line after the mandatory. I mean, that's just the way the WBA should do things, but instead they have all these damn championship belts. So that's it, guys. Um, yeah, so this weekend coming up, there's a lot of action. The following weekend, it's a little light, and that's why I'm cramming this all into uh, one episode here, episode 133. We'll be back next, next week after I get back from Boston. Any of you who are up in Boston, I'm going to be visiting family. Get at me. You know, hit me up and um, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, right here, uh, you know, comment section on this video, whatever. But let me know and maybe we can get up and uh, get a beer or something and talk some boxing while I'm up there in Boston. Wicked, wicked good. Yeah, I can't do a Boston accent to save my damn life. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fights.